Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. And thank you, (laughs) Justine, we held hands together as we sent the final pages and chapters and covers off to the printer today and signed a print order, and the next thing we will hear from the printer is when the hard copy proofs are on their way to me. Wow. Wow, wow, (laughs) wow. Getting close. Wow, wow, wow. So it won't be long before we're actually holding abundantly well in our hands. Ah. 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 Red love. (laughs) So what have you been up to? 
Um, let's see. I've been making all kinds of herbal stuff, and um, yeah, that's pretty much what I've been up to. I made some really great elderberry syrup that I put up in my shop, actually, and I uh, made some fall care packages. And um, yeah, I'm making. I'm about ready to bottle some uh, plantain tallow that I made. That's really nice and dark green. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I've just uh, been in the, the role of that, and um, I did a sound healing this weekend at my house, and we used some reishi mushrooms that were harvested from the forest here, and that was some really cool, powerful medicine to work with uh, with the singing bowls and stuff. Wow. Yeah, so you, yeah, reishi. When you say you worked with the reishi, did you consume the reishi? Did you make reishi remedies? What did you do? Yeah, so for every sound healing I do, I I offer a plant um, spirit kind of plant spirit sound bath, and so um, I'll be infusing the house with with the reishi this time. So I like you know like decocted it in the house and um, whatever plants I'm working with, I'm always like I'll even like go as far as to like wash the floors with it and you know like have a bowl of it that people can like you know splash some of it on them and, um, you know, kind of like bathe themselves in it a little bit or just depending on what the plant is that we're using. But with reishi, it's, it's just, it's so nice just to consume it. And so that's basically just how we, we, um, we sit with it and I do like a little guided meditation and then, you know, everybody consumes it together. And, um, and this is yeah, reishi, that we, you, reishi that you decocted, you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you just take, for the, a couple- take the reishi and you boil it and boil it and boil it. Now you said, did you say it was fresh from your woods? So they were not fresh at the time, but um, they were. Uh, there were a couple that I had harvested, and then some that were given to me. And so there were three different varieties that I used. And, um, yeah, they're from all of just around the, the forest around here. We have several varieties that grow in the forest here. Yes, the Chinese, of course, ever willing to categorize, have a great many different categories of reishi, both by size and by color and by where they grow and so on. I have had people say to me that they ordered and bought dried reishi and that they then could not figure out what to do with it because it was so dry. Yeah, I actually bought, because these were dried whole, which I guess preserves them really nicely, is when you, like, preserve the medicine really nicely. Some people uh, slice them before they before they dry them. But these ones were dried whole, so I brought a sledgehammer to break them up, and that worked pretty well. It was uh, <laughs> some serious pounding, because they're very hard, and then in the middle, they're um, they're kind of spongy so they you have to like pull them apart and uh, yeah yes because what I do with the ones that I find is I cut them up and make vinegar Mhm. oh yeah and that's, that's partly a, yeah I would think that was a great many years ago I had decided that I was going to be brain tanning a goat skin and, of course, in order to brain tan, you have to get the brain of the animal. So I figured I would just take a sledgehammer and hit the dead goat's head, and I would get the brain. Not thinking that the dead goat's head is designed for impact. 
Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I had very good reflexes for the sledgehammer because the sledgehammer very quickly occupied the space where my head would if it if it hadn't moved. Because mm. it hit that goat skull and it bounced up so fast back to my face. Yeah. So I take it the Rishi does not fight back. It just crumbles. No, it doesn't. No, it has some give. It, it totally uh, it gives in because of, like, that soft middle part in it. So, <laughs> yeah. So That's how, scary, though. Did you pulverize? Did you get it down to, like, inch-sized pieces or just, like, pieces the size of your hand? I did get them. Some of them were kind of large, but I mean, yeah, they're probably like a inch, couple inches thick. So I was, I was able to like once you kind of crack them, and uh, you know, whack them a few times, then you can pull them apart because there'll be some crack marks. And so I was pulling. You're able to pull them apart after they're cracked open. Ah, uh, okay, got it. Got it. Got mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, some yeah, and you know, tools would help. Yeah, you could use a, a bunch of yeah. You could use a number of different things, I'm sure. And yeah, like some of them, you know, they since they they're growing on wood, like they take the characteristic of the wood, especially like the artist conch. I had an artist conch one. Have you seen? Do you have those where you live? We do. Aren't they wonderful? Yeah, they're those, so beautiful. For those of you who don't know, the tree fungi, which are shelf fungi often have a poured undersurface. And in the artist conch, it's a very densely packed, it's a very, very great number of pixels in it. So you can actually sketch and draw really beautifully detailed drawings on the undersurface of this mushroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they, and they take on, the- like, the ripples of the wood. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and that, that was- one and then... Um, we use, we have the Ganoderma organense and um, the Ganoderma tusque. So those ones are very similar, actually, to the Ganoderma lucidium. They say are very they have very con- similar constituents. And so those are all reishi mushrooms. They're all Ganoderma. They're on the genus Ganoderma, but they're different species. Mm-hmm. And as is frequently the case with plants, the difference in species does not make a big difference. The Mm -hmm. books might bite Ganoderma lucidum, but the fact that you don't have that growing there doesn't mean the reishi that you do have is not useful. It is useful. And in fact, I mean, from what I've read, a lot of times when they're labeled the lucidium, which is like the most commonly used reishi, you're not getting that most of the time. So, yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. But they're beautiful mushrooms, and they're they're cool to work with. So I was, and I was happy to offer that, and um, I had some, I, I drank a lot throughout the day and then like, I just, it takes you, I felt like it, they kind of take you into like a, an altered visionary state, you know, like I was having some really deep dream work that night. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was having an argument that I've had a great many times in my life today. Mm. And the argument was on the other side, psychoactive plants should not be used because they take you to places illegally. They take you to places that you didn't get to on your own. 
They take you to places, and then you don't know how to cope with being in that place. And my answer to that is I absolutely agree we should not go anywhere that we can't walk to. We should certainly never take an airplane anywhere because that is illegal to move ourselves somewhere where we cannot get by walking. And I went on to say that most people cope very, very well with the psychedelic experience, with the psychoactive experience. And the, the scientific studies find that people, especially with terminal diagnosis, um, cope much, much better with their terminal diagnosis after taking a single dose of a psychoactive plant like psilocybin. Yeah, and part of it is learning how to navigate in that realm, and it's kind of like a rite of passage or something, you know, like to be able to um, learn how to work with these different psychoactive plants and mushrooms. And, yeah, I think that it really does, like, it forms so many new narrow pathways, and you really get to have, like, this experience that, I mean, I think it's almost, I mean, not that everybody should have it, but I think, you know, like in the times that we're living in, it would be a a great benefit for so many, for so many people, especially people that are having a hard time transitioning from, from dying. I've fully, yeah, yeah, because I think a lot of people are having a, a really hard time in that, in that space, accepting death. And we can be told endlessly that we are all one, but when we experience it, we believe it. Yeah, it's the experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no words, not even pictures. <laughs> yeah, it's very that. hard to even the experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Hey, Speaking look of, at who we have tonight. Tonight, Terry Anderson is going to be telling us about her near-death experience and the three beings outside time and space who were with her, giving her past and future Life Refuse. Stay tuned for Terry Anderson at 9 o'clock here East Coast time. Or go do something and come back. And the the psychedelic experience gives you the opportunity to have that experience without having a near-death experience, too. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's like, oh, well, that's walking there. But, wow, do I actually want people to have to be, as she puts in her intro, she was brutally assaulted. No, mm-hmm. much easier mm-hmm. if I can offer you a psilocybin mushroom. Yeah, and just having the free will to have that kind of realizing that you are the sovereign being that can make these choices for yourself. It's very empowering. So, All right, thanks for sharing, Susan. And um, are we ready for, well, if you have a question for Susan, please press 1. To speak with her, and um, are you ready for the first caller, Susan? I am. Okay. The first caller is coming from the seven one eight area code. Yeah, I think so. Hi. Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? 
Yes, hello. Oh, good. All right, hi. Um, I wanted to ask you about sinuses. I have a congestion under my eyes, my nose, and my head, and I can't seem to get clear of it. Ugh. How awful. Yeah, it is. It's a headache, and it's preventing uh, me from doing a lot of things. Miserable. Well, let me give you kind of the two ends of the spectrum on this. Mm-hmm. One end of the spectrum is to do home remedies, which would usually consist of alternating hot and cold things. One of my teacher's favorites was a foot bath, both of hot water and of cold water, and a towel in each one of those basins. And when your feet are in the hot water, the cold, ice-cold towel is on your sinuses. And when your feet are in the cold water, the hot towel is on your sinuses. Wow. And she called it pumping the sinuses. So how long do you how long do you keep the feet in, in the water and and the uh, you keep changing it? You you change about every you know forty to sixty seconds. Oh, that quickly. Okay. Quickly. Oh yeah, yeah. When it stops being too hot or too cold, you change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it doesn't make a difference what you do. It's either you put your feet in the cold water or the hot, and the opposite on the, on the on the forehead. Exactly. It doesn't matter where you start. Okay. Now, another another thing thing that I learned to do was to take 10 clothespins and to put them on the ends of the toes. The ends of the toes are the reflex points for the sinuses. Did you say clothespins? I did indeed say clothespins, the spring-loaded ones. Okay, and you put it on the toes? The very tips of your toes. All of them? On the tips of all the toes? The tips of all the toes, correct. Okay, and and, for how and this will probably hurt, and that's all right. You're not doing yourself any damage, mm-hmm. and you can leave them on for ten or fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. If they stay on longer, no harm is being done, but it doesn't ha- doesn't necessarily help to have them longer. And and, and what will that do? And to several me like of that? my teachers were very much into reflexology, mm-hmm. which is the treatment of human disease by treating the feet. Mm-hmm. And it is one of the few truly alternative techniques that is being strongly validated by science. I think of, you know, acupuncture and massage and herbalism as mainstream alternatives. And mm-hmm. reflexology is kind of often this little bywater, you know, but but the science is finding that, wow, um, those reflexologists knew, know what they're talking about. So that's that's one end with the simple natural remedies that you can do, as well as, of course, and you probably have tried things like bringing a pan of water to a boil and throwing some citrus peels in it and then turning the fire off and throwing a towel over your head and breathing in that citrus air. Okay. You probably tried Uh, something like that. I did, yes. And you used what? I, I used um, grapefruit field. A spraken field? No, great grapefruit from the grapefruit. That's what the I grapefruit. Have oh, wonderful! Yeah. Did that help at all? A uh, very little. Uh huh. Uh huh. Also, it's very uncomfortable being underneath the uh, it, it, you know the heat and, and, and the towel. It's a little too exactly. Heavy. For some people, bending forward is just excruciating when they have sinus pain. 
Oh, that would okay. So it, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's primarily it. That bending forward really uh-huh. can fill up the sinuses. Now the other end of the spectrum is phage therapy. P H A G E. Okay. You, you go to your doctor and you say, "I would like phage therapy to get rid of the infection in my sinuses." And you and your doctor get in touch with the country, not the not the state. The country, Georgia, it's in Europe. Yeah. Where phage therapy is done, and they will instruct you how to send them samples of the infection in your sinuses, and they will tell you whether or not their therapy can cure your infection. So, this, this, you said this is in Europe. It's phage therapy in Europe. S as in Sam, A G E. Yes, but F as in PH. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. And that's the thing in Europe. It's not approved in the U.S., but it is approved for your doctor to get it from Georgia. Got it. And Georgia's in Europe. I know I heard of Georgia in in, in the uh, Ukraine or Russia, but I've never uh, heard Ukraine, of Ukraine. Yeah, yes, oh, oh, that's okay. the one. That's one. Sidliki, I think, is the, is where they're doing it. Okay. But once you know that it's stage therapy and you need to get it from Georgia, you should be on the right track. And they send you back, if they can create a phage therapy for you, they will send you the phage therapy, which is usually a spray or something you put on the outside of your body. It's very non-invasive. Wow. That was just something new. Exciting. Can I ask you one more question? Mm-hmm. And this is especially recommended for people who have infections, any kind of infection, sinus infections, any kind, um, who have had not response or not good response from antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I also have, I'm living in a house where it's very moldy. It's not my house. I don't know what to do about it. Is there anything that I can use? to massage the mold. So when you say the house is moldy, is it moldy everywhere? Um, no, most mostly on the upper floor. Mostly moldy on the upper floor. And, um, well, the bathrooms are also moldy. Kitchen's okay. All right. So... You have a choice. Really you have a choice of where you can be. I assume that you don't have to be on the upper floor, and it's also possible that if, that if you air that out and vacuum it, that the moldy smell will go away. You're living in the northeast. Yeah. Where it's humid all the time. Yeah. So, by drinking nourishing herbal infusions, one's body becomes far more tolerant. Okay. The what mold in the bathrooms is generally a pretty benign mold, although it can get ugly looking. Mm-hmm. If there's many minerals in the water, the mold in the bathrooms will look blackish, but it is not the dreaded black mold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. In, it, in fact, it tends to keep to itself. The molds that are really dangerous are molds down in basements. Oh, okay. And those are the ones that can really mess up your respiratory system. 
anything to do for that because it probably is traveling up. Mullen leaf infusion it really helps make healthy lungs. Okay. Uh, any any one of them more than the other, or just keep rotating them? Just I would keep ro- just rotating them and then add mu- a cup of mullein infusion. We usually mix it half and half with milk on a mm-hmm. daily basis in addition to the inf- regular infusion that you're drinking. So mullein and milk. Add yeah. To it. Okay. Okay. Doesn't it's nice heated it- up. It's a little honey in it. Okay. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> That's good. Okay. okay. Kai, so call it, why don't you call us back at some point in the future and let us know how it turned out oh, or what you decided to do, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Wonderful. Okay. Good blessings. Bye-bye. You will. Bye-bye. All right. The next caller is coming from the 352 area code. Hello. Are you there in the 352? All right, back to them. And the next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so my question tonight is, I, I have two questions. Um, one is I made what I thought was this um, Italian liqueur kind of thing called nocino. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. <laughs> but it, you take green black walnuts and you cut them, you quarter them, and you put them in vodka and you add um, some other aromatic kind of herbs like uh, cinnamon and I can't remember the other things. Oh, like a vanilla seed pod. And anyway, so I made this. And I did not follow any recipe. And I used the 100 proof vodka that I used for my tinctures. And um, it doesn't taste very good. It doesn't taste like the one that a friend of mine had made and gave me. And I was wondering if there's any uh, medicinal use that I could use this for because it's not like nice for like sipping or putting on ice cream. <laughs> So what did your friend do differently? I'm uh, I'm going to guess that she put more sugar because the way that they do oh, it. Oh, that would be my first guess too. Was did you put enough sugar in it? Okay, because like, yeah, I didn't. I think I think it calls for a lot of sugar, and I just kind of put in like a half cup or something. Uh huh. So yeah, of course you're not going to like it. Black walnut holes are very bitter. They're very nasty tasting. Yeah, it's almost like um, it just has like a very strong aftertaste. At first I was like, oh, this is okay. And then it lingers like this very, not even like uh, like chemically taste. It's like licking the road. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And I was just curious because, I don't know, I was not thinking very hard when I did this. It's and an so- antifungal. Okay, that's what I was going to ask, but you'd use it topically, then I'm assuming. Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure because you did put some sugar and some other stuff in there, so. Um, <laughs> that's not going <laughs> to. 
Mm-hmm. I was like, I hope I can salvage you know, this. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we say, you know, I'm going to chalk this up to experience. I've spent more on going to a movie that I didn't like. <laughs> right? That's good. Yes. Did you get some experience? Did you get some enjoyment? Do you have a great story you're going to tell about how you didn't put enough sugar in? Yes. This is a very successful project, even though you can't consume it. Do you think that if I add the sugar now, I mean, I guess I could try it, but. Yes, I think if you add the sugar now, you would like it a lot better. Okay. (laughs) I might try that. Is it also anti-parasitic? Like, would it be helpful in that way? It's very, very rare that I see anyone who has any parasites. Well, I travel to Latin America, and my family's from Colombia, so uh-huh. we definitely get roundworms. Definitely we have, get... Like my kids, my kids yeah. have had it. I've definitely right. had it. So yes, that would be a useful thing then. Okay, and I remember hearing you say that you used to use wormwood before the preventative. Yeah. Yeah. So could could I do the same thing with something like this? Give it a try and see. Okay. (laughs) What I did with the wormwood was I gave a bottle to each one of my parents when they went off to India, and I said put a (laughs) drop or two of this in everything you drink, from Coke to tea to water. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have any traveler's diarrhea the entire time they were there. Awesome. We never – I never get – diarrhea like I'm so I think my system's used to everything there that we are exposed to and um we've all had worms <laughs> I hear you that. yeah so fun <laughs> okay my second question is um I my friend had some champagne sitting in her fridge that she didn't she wasn't going to drink and I thought I could just for fun try to make a tincture with it and just add um, an herb to it just because otherwise it was going to go to waste. I don't really drink that much. So make a I berry put in... Make a berry tincture. Okay. It would be and... nice with elderberries or blueberries. And would you... Um, it won't, would you... It won't extract very strongly. Because okay. a tincture extracts by osmosis. That means that the water on either side of the cell wants to be about the same. Figure that most plants are about 75% water. A fruit would be more. And the champagne is what alcohol percent is it, do you know? I mean, it, 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 I'm sure it's pretty low, right? Like, but that would what, guess- like- under 20 percent yeah yeah i think so so some flavor and some color will transfer into the champagne which is why i thought berries because they have a nice color and a nice flavor but nothing of medicinal significance will transfer over okay so there's not really a point in because i i guess (laughs) i remember you saying that i mean i don't know if this is exactly what you said but something around that that's how people used to extract, um, but it was like by making something like dandelion wine, you would be yes. getting some of the medicinal value. Yes. But that's kind of different than this process of just using wine to extract. Yes, uh, but it is something that people do. 
and you know they use herbs where they're trying to get a flavor compound out of them, like Woodruff makes May wine. Mm-hmm. So they take white wine and they put Woodruff in it, and sometimes all it takes is overnight to get that flavor compound out. Okay. But Fun a flavor it. compound is not so much like a medicinal compound. Right. But they're fun. You're allowed to have yeah. fun. <laughs> great. Great. Good. Well, okay. Thank Thanks for your question. Dream blessing. Good night. We're going to go back to the caller in the 352 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you, Susan? I am thrilled to have the book in the queue at the printers getting ready to start the process of getting printed. Yeehaw. That is very yeehaw. And I bought your first book the year it was printed. Um, wow. Thank you. You're welcome, Susan. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I have two questions about two herbs. Okay. One would be Lobelia inflata versus the Cardinalis and the Cephalotica. Do they have the same actions? Absolutely when you not. Harvest them fresh. No, no, no. I They're didn't to- think so. Okay. Totally, totally different. Right. The one that is really considered medicinal is the Lobelia inflata. Correct. Okay. It's the least conspicuous of them. It's an annual, so you never know where she's going to pop up. Okay. And remember, it's also called pukeweed. Correct. It is pukeweed. And I also have to tell you that I did use that amazingly successful. In what uh, form? Anyway, not, uh, in the in, in tincture form, and it was the, um, not the in, uh, yeah the inflata, and it relieved my child got fell off a trampoline at Cynthia Hare's house, and was paralyzed on his left side, and we gave him inflata. He projectile vomited, and the paralysis was gone. It was amazing. Far out. I know. It was very far out. So tell me about the Cephalotica. Is there any medicinal value? I did tincture that in 100 proof, and I, I'm so glad I'm talking I don't think that it has very much value. Okay. Can you talk to me about all It's certainly not one that I know of anyone who has ever used it. And it, it doesn't have a lot of talk about syphilis it. Syphilis Spares half of the people who get it. Half of the people who get it have the first symptom, which is the the pustule, and the second symptom, which is the itchy rash all over some months later, but never go on to have any further symptoms. Half of all people who get syphilis. So herbal literature is just littered with plants that cure syphilis because, hey, you got a 50-50 chance, don't you? Right. (laughs) So the cardinalis and the symphalotica are, they're just beautiful. Just beautiful. As if one okay. could say just about either of them. They are magnificently, stunningly. They are eye catchers. Way when you find them in the woods, beautiful. And you just want to do something with it. I agree. <laughs> could you talk to me about alfalfa a little bit? Alfalfa. When I first started studying herbal medicine, a lot of herbalists were really into alfalfa. And a dear friend of mine 
had a herd of goats, and she wanted to really do right by the goats, and she asked what the best hay was. She was told alfalfa hay, so she got alfalfa hay, and she killed her entire herd. Because goats are poisoned by alfalfa hay, and that really stuck with me. Really? It really stuck with me, and I'm like, whoa. Now, you know that's in the pregnancy Goats are killed by alfalfa hay? What is this? What's going on? And I then had a kind of drawing back from alfalfa, and the next thing that happened along that path was alfalfa sprouts, and people getting horrible in the hospital cases of food poisoning from alfalfa sprouts. And I thought, wow, the goddess is really making this clear, Susan, stay away from alfalfa. Now, I'm sure you've heard that there's a problem with bees, yes? Yes. And you've probably heard that the problem with bees is that there are plants that are being planted with the systemic pesticide that expresses through the whole plant. And so it's in the pollen. And I think that that, doing it that way was developed in order to be able to grow alfalfa. So so I use red clover, and I use astragalus. Okay. They are both members of the bean family. I find the red clover very friendly to people. I do love that red clover. That's why I'm asking because there's a pregnancy tonic we've been using for years and years and years, and it includes alfalfa. And I haven't heard you talk about it much, so that's why I inquired. Mm-hmm. Well, you could, uh, so we, it, we could you know, I think by a pregnancy tonic you mean a tea blend. It uh, and we let them ask them to use it in infusion form and out. Red raspberry, and, nettles, oats, alfalfa, but I should replace that alfalfa with red clover, as I thought. I wish you wouldn't mix the herbs together. I sincerely and I agree, but deeply wish you would not mix the herbs together. To drink anything. I sincerely and deeply wish you would not mix the herbs together. Well, then I sincerely listen to your advice. Tell me more. When drink the herbs individually, they can form a relationship with it. It's not I by like rote. It. It's not nettle yeah. on Tuesday and, and right. on You're Wednesday. We want to be able to respond to our bodies, and especially when working with pregnant women, we want to encourage them to be responsive to their bodies. Oh, my gosh. I love it. That's exactly right. Yeah. By mixing yeah. it all together, we dumb them down. Yeah, and you're kind of giving them a vitamin, and not not the not the deal. And I, right. I like that. Thank you. That's good. That's good. So, thank you. So and instead of having them, yes, it takes a little effort to make infusion for yourself. Guess what? You're pregnant. You're gonna better be ready to make some effort. Right. Uh, exactly. It's, exa- I know we're too easy. I'm okay. So I'm. Just yes. Put them to the test. <laughs> Right, a red clover instead of alfalfa. I will tell you a great story about alfalfa that happened to me here recently. Do tell me. My next door neighbor. I will. My next door neighbor. I guess she had an overdose of steroids from the local hospital, 
and she ran next door to me and my daughter who's a massage therapist she's only 18 but I only had alfalfa handy and it just got rid of the swelling so quickly I personally was amazed perhaps she just needed something other than coca-cola is my conclusion but it really worked swiftly that's a good conclusion I like that conclusion <laughs> All right, can I got another quick one for you, Miss? All right, uh, Miss Weed, and it would be, and that's all I have for you. Can't find my papers, so I'm good to go. All righty, green blessings. Thank Thanks for your call. So much green blessings to you too, Susan. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. The next caller is coming from the two one five area code. Hi, Susan. Um, I had a simple question. I got an email recently, and it talked about um, plants used um, as incense. And I didn't know what to think about that, and so I just wanted to ask you about that. Let's start with forest bathing. Forest bathing, as practiced in Japan and paid for by Japanese National Healthcare, has found that when we walk in the woods, that there are very low levels of aromatics in the air that trigger good health in our bodies. Some of the trees that provide these aromatics not only put them into the air in very mild concentrations, they also have saps that are very rich in concentrations of these. And throughout the world, people have gathered those saps and have considered them very, very precious. The three wise men brought gold and frankincense and myrrh, and frankincense and myrrh are such tree resins. They're from evergreen trees. And they are used as incense. Anyone who grew up Catholic knows the smell of frankincense and myrrh. Mm-hmm. Copal is used throughout South America. Pine resins. In addition, there are aromatic plants that also have volatiles in them. And those volatiles can be burned. In other words, the plant can be burned. It can be used as a smudge. I was just smudged in a desert area in California. And the native people there smudge by taking the aromatic herb, in this case a piece of artemisia, putting it in a bowl of water and then kind of snapping at you and snapping the water onto you. And they said, you know, they would never have anything that had sparks. They they would not burn herbs to get the scent. They just put it in water and splash the water about it, and you could smell it. So plants are used as incense all the time, and you kind of have to pick how you're going to do it and what the purpose of it is. In Australia, the Aboriginal people made a fire and then they put a lot of wet green eucalyptus leaves on them, on the fire. Hmm. 
in addition to being green, they actually wet them down and put them on the fire. And, of course, the fire just turned into smoke, which came through the eucalyptus leaves, and they fanned that smoke across you as you entered the ceremonial area. So they weren't actually burning the eucalyptus. They were really freeing the aromatics out of it, right? Yeah. Perhaps that's a more complicated answer than you were looking for. No. it's so, And I think the female came from the Northwest School of Aromatic Medicine, and I just didn't – it was a new concept to me. I didn't know what to think about it, and I heard you a couple times talk about essential oils, and I just thought I want to be careful and conscientious about new concepts. Yes, and coming from that school, I think you're quite right that it could actually be kind of come on for something that would wind up being about essential oils, but not necessarily. Certainly much Mm -hmm. of the incense that we get from India is made with essential oils, it's a stick dipped in <clears throat> traditionally cow dung and then scented with essential oils. I think the ones they sent to the United States are some kind of sawdust or something, but <laughs> dung on mm-hmm. top burns better. Is there any kind of um, plant you would use for to help them? Use for what? To help, uh, so I'm going through menopause, um, and once in a while I see you know, about lavender or so. The thought of uh, I think, healing to me, maybe from that sense. You're breaking up pretty badly, so let me repeat what I think you might have said. You're going through menopause, and you want to make something with lavender. I thought so, or I was trying to think about the concept of uh, plants and incense um, in terms of soothing myself to sleep at night. What a nice idea. Try a cup of chamomile tea with a little honey in it. It has a really lovely smell. Or a cup of hot chocolate, which also also has a wonderful smell. Think natural scent therapy. Okay. Many people find the smell of chocolate very relaxing, and hot chocolate is a known soporific. It's, you know, scientifically shown to put you to sleep. Okay. All right. I have both of those. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hi, Tatiana. Hi. Hi. Hi, Susan. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I'm taking the St. John's Ward, um, as you told me, but I do not know if I should take it on an empty stomach with little food, with after food or before eating. Um these are very good questions to ask about drugs. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's not a drug. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'm I'm very pleased that I don't have any side effects from taking it, which uh, in 
it's not a drug. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it didn't affect yet my shingle pain, but it. I have a feeling that it affects. It. I. I have a feeling that it uplifts me in some way, very subtle. And and people told me that I should take it for three months in order to see um, uh, an effect that's more visible. Or herbs can work quickly, and herbs can have effects after being taken for long amounts of time. I have taken the tincture that you're talking about, which mm-hmm. I make um, on. If not a daily basis, maybe four or five times a week for close on to thirty years. Oh, it's okay. I take it to relieve any kind of muscle pain. Let's see. You just asked for some uh, hypericum tincture. I'm talking to uh, Tara, the apprentice, who just asked for some hypericum tincture. And did you get a chance to use that yet? You want to talk yes, yes, I, I, I did. Uh, the, the uh-huh. So I'm talking to Tara, who's sitting here. Uh-huh. the uh, apprentice with me, and I want her to just share with us what her experience of using Hypericum tincture has been. Okay. Hypericum being what you're calling St. John's Word, same name, same thing. Yeah. I was having some muscle pain in my shoulder, and it's been chronic for a little bit, and I have been taking Hypericum for the last two days, and I've noticed not only is my mood better, but some of the inflammation has started to recede back a little bit. So that's that's pretty normal. That generally there is really quick. I you know have seen sciatic pain and other you know really serious things actually remiss within 24 hours. Wow. Well, it's a miracle thing. Um, yeah. So I'm, gl- I'm glad that you were able to find it and that you're taking it. It's a nice bright red tincture. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And, and, and you will not come to any harm from taking it. Three times a day, as you said? Three times a day is fine. And it's okay to take it for the longest time? I know people who have taken it for decades. Oh, my God. Well, thanks a lot. It, uh, you're welcome. Thank you. It's not a drug. It's a food like coffee, like tea. Yeah, diet. well, coffee is hard on me. I mean, I, I used to drink coffee and fall asleep, but not anymore. Anymore, right? Well, it's, it's, I'm not saying that it is a stimulant like coffee. I'm saying that yeah. it's no more a drug than coffee Ooh. is. The caffeine in coffee is a drug, but coffee itself is not a drug. Uh-huh. Right. All right. Thank <laughs> All you. right. That's Thanks for your question. Thank you. Great blessings. Okay. Like we just have one more person with their hand raised. If you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1. And the next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Hi, Susan. How are you? I am doing excitedly well, but abundantly well. Is that the printer? I'm excited for it to come out. Um, I have a question about herbal oils. I have some red clover oil that I made earlier this year towards the late spring, early summer. And I also have some hypericum perforatum oil that has been sitting for probably about eight weeks. 
And I'm just wondering if I should strain the fresh plant material off of that as soon as the six-week mark hits, or should I just keep it in there for a little while? It's really up to you. Okay. I personally find that laziness in that regard has never bitten me in the butt. Okay. But I am rather more mold tolerant, perhaps, than others. And yeah, my will, clover oil really will be the deciding factor. If okay. you let your herb and your oil sit together long enough, mold will form. Okay. Especially if you've used a fresh plant. Right. But how long enough that long enough is is going to vary. For comfrey, it might be six weeks in one day. For hypericum, it might be a year. For plantain, it might be six months. Okay. I have certainly found that the longer the plant material sits in the oil, the stronger the resulting remedy is. Right. And since I give myself the out peel mold off the top of my oil and throw it away and carry on as though nothing had happened, It's not a problem for me to occasionally open a jar and find the molds there. Okay. I, it, much of my, you know, early working life worked in health food stores and dealt with a lot of mold. So it, in some ways, it made it not so much a threat to me as perhaps some other people think it is. I, and I can tell good mold from bad mold. Remember, antibiotics are molds, too, so. They're not all all bad or moldy, friends. Anything else? Hello, oh, am looks, I dropped? It looks like we lost her call. Her, okay. The next caller is coming from the 541 area code. Hi, Susan. Can you hear me? I can. Hi. um, My name is Ariella, and I have a question about – I was wondering if if you could share your thoughts about – I have a friend who's um, training to do uh, something called thermography. Are you familiar with that? Yes. And she offered that I'd be one of her, I don't know, I guess guinea pigs would probably be the best way um, for her training uh, to do a breast thermography. And I was wondering what your thoughts were about that. I mean, in in, in some ways I'm open uh, to helping my friend and I'm a big believer in sort of preventative health and I also know that if I go into my garden and turn over the soil I'm going to find you know and look for worms I'm going to find worms Um, and that's kind of how I feel about cancer in some ways that it's you know present in a lot of people's bodies but it's not harming me so I'm just kind of I'm curious what your thoughts are about this approach to diagnostics it's not a diagnostic approach, and it's not a way to look for cancer. 
Okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> so I, that you know, thermography is, as its name says, a way to look for areas anywhere in the body that are hotter than normal. Mm-hmm. Right? Right, yeah. So that's what it is, is we are looking for heat. Now, is cancer hot? Cancer can be hot. Yeah. If we see something hot in the breast, does that mean it's cancer? No. So with any test, we want to know what is the false positive rate and what is the false negative rate. So if there's 100 women who get a thermogram, how many of them are going to be told there's something wrong with you because of this thermogram and that's not true? Or how many of them are going to be told everything is okay with you because of this thermogram and that's not true? So I'm going to read from Abundantly Well. Thermal images made by an infrared camera reveal heat patterns and blood flow in body tissues without radiation, compression, or risk except for overtreatment. Thermograms have a very high false positive rate. Thermograms see heat. Cancer cells and their blood vessels are warm, but warmth can be caused by a variety of things. Biopsy scans and surgeries follow a false positive thermogram, turning a safe, non-invasive test into a risky surgical procedure. Thermography doesn't detect breast cancer. In a 1990 study enrolling over 10,000 women, 72% of those diagnosed with breast cancer had normal thermograms. Wow. Okay, well, I'm really glad I asked, and I'm happy that you're covering this in your new book because um, I was looking in breast cancer, breast health for thermography, and maybe it's in there, but I'm not all the way through. Yeah. There's an index. Um, Usually those things do show up in the index. Um, so here's what I would do. If it was a good friend of mine, I would say, I would be so happy to be your guinea pig, um, but here's what, I don't want you to tell me the results. Mm-hmm. I do not, no matter what they are, I do not in any way want to know the results. I'm happy to go. I'm happy to have, mammo- have a thermogram after thermogram. I'm happy for you to track me and follow me and to be part of your study cohort. But you cannot say a word to me about what the thermogram finds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that way she gets what she's looking for, and I don't have to be worried the wiser or anything like that. Exactly. Okay. So, so can I ask a follow-up to that? Yes. Um, would you say your approach to someone who does not have a cancer diagnosis but is trying to live an anti-cancer lifestyle to focus on sort of building that lifestyle and not really think about diagnostics at all? 
screening test is not a diagnostic. It's a, a screening, screening test. test. Uh-huh, I see what you're saying. So that's a screening tool. Like you can't necessarily even diagnose. Right. Uh-huh. So there's no point in using it because it doesn't work for the intended purpose that it's claiming to say it right. works for. Right. Okay. I also, in the book, have had a list of the screening tests that the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommends. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force is a international, uh, I'm sorry, a, an American group of um, professionals who, let's find this here, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force is an independent expert panel that advises the government and medical organizations about preventative health care. They say too many people are screened too frequently at the wrong age with tests that are inaccurate and too few are getting the tests they do need. All screening tests carry risks. And then they recommend a one-time osteoporosis screening for any woman over the age of 65. And they recommend yearly or every other year pap smear with an HPV screening for women 21 to 65. Not recommended except for those at very high risk, mammograms, PSA tests, colonoscopies, CT scans, and carotid artery calcium screening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and from, from what I understand, there was a longitudinal study about mammograms done that they, if that because we're getting so many screenings in such close proximity that it may actually be contributing to the increase in, in, in carcinomas because of the radiation that's received through the screening process itself. So it's kind of like counterproductive in a way. An independent meta-analysis of 600,000 women who had regular mammograms found no overall benefit, no increase in longevity. 50 to 61% of women who get regular mammograms will get a false positive result, leading to substantial emotional, physical, and financial distress. How many? I'm sorry, you said 60%? (laughs) 50 to 60%. Wow, that's half. Wow. That's right. Okay. Yeah. It's not preventative. Right. It's not preventative. It's not good for you. It's high radiation. And there are, what you're talking about, living an anti-cancer lifestyle, I think is a better choice. Mm-hmm. There are, there yeah. are no guarantees. I I met a woman who grew up on an organic farm, never had a bite of anything that wasn't organic in her life, was diagnosed with breast cancer at 32. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we well, do, I our, know. I think do our best I, because yeah. it pleases us, because it feels good in a great many ways. And should we also get the payoff of not getting cancer? Good work. And should we draw the cancer card? No blame. Okay. I like that. I like that approach. It's uh, take some of the pressure off and 
I believe in a higher power, so I know that I can do my part and um and the the will of the that power is not up to me, so I like the way you think. All right. Well, thank you, Susan, for bringing some clarity to that. And um, hope you have a great rest of your night. Green blessings. Good night. Bye-bye. All right. It looks like the caller from the 919 called back. So we'll... Hi, Susan. Sorry, my call dropped, I think. I All right. Talking to, talking to you about the herbal oils. Yes. Um, so I don't know what you said to this or if I even finished on here, but I was talking about the red clover oil and it has kind of a funky smell. It's not bad. It's just, oh, good. It's I can tell it's a funky mold. smell. I'm sorry. What'd you say? It's supposed to have a funky smell. That's great. I kind of figured that with all the yeah. yeast and everything else growing all over it and bugs and everything else that was on it. Um, so my next question is I have poke growing everywhere around me and it's, beautiful to look at and when you get up close to it it's like it is a present for sure but I don't know how long some of the plants have been here because I've only lived here a little less than a year and I have a few that are eight feet tall or more and I'm assuming those are older since they're taller I don't know if you probably usually they as they grow they have more than one stalk coming out the top Okay. Okay. So there are some areas where we have dug up, like kind of graded the earth, and the poke that I saw spring up from nothing this year, just like tiny little sprouts, is probably about four feet tall, but I didn't pay attention to, like, what the stalk was doing. There's just one stalk in the first year or two. Okay. It, as I said, it takes a while before they get more than one stalk. The biggest poke plant I ever saw had, I think, maybe 20 stalks. Okay, so the height doesn't have much to do with that then. That's kind of like more... It doesn't say as much about how old the plant is as the number of stalks okay. that are coming out okay. of the root crown. Okay. All right, so if I want to make an oil in the tincture of that plant, if I go look at it and it is, older, or I think it's older, um, do I just chop it what, up in small pieces? What part of the plant are you going to use to make an oil? I'm going to use the root, and from what I've heard, it's like a huge, gigantic root. Yes, and ideally, the root is not harvested until the top is dead. Okay, that's. I was waiting for that. I just kind of wanted to look at it now and like okay, get an good. idea Wait until the of top. Like where it was before Frost I kills the top. And then... You know you don't have to dig up the entire root. They are big, and it's okay to cut part of them off and just plant the rest back in its place. Okay. Okay. What are you going to be using poke oil for? Um, Not for anything in particular. It's kind of one of those things where it's like... If and I, I would say make it, a very small amount of it. It's a caustic okay. oil. It's used to burn holes in breasts so cancer can extrude. It's kind of a harsh thing. Well, that's I wanted it for that, just in case me or one of the women in my life ever needed it, that I would just have it and be able to the present oils, whoever with it. The oils don't last that long. Now, if you really want to keep it for a long time, you need to put it up in animal fat. 
Okay. Because the oil is going to go rancid in a couple of years. Right. Uh, could I do that with deer fat? There, I don't have, no one's hunted anything yet this year, but I'm assuming there will be things hunted. Usually, deer usually the frost that brings down the top of the poke brings out the hunters, huh? <laughs> yeah, correct. And on farms, people start giving death to the yearling and the pig. Mm-hmm. So if fall is a good time to look around for some of those animal fats, okay. especially if it's something that you want to just put aside to preserve. Okay. And, um, again, you know, you don't have to make a huge amount of the tincture of the root. Okay. It's used in, like, one in two drop doses. Mm-hmm. So even a pint of it is quite a bit. Okay. All right. I've never had to use it. I have some that I bought, but I wanted to make a little bit of my own and give some away to some of my friends and my family. Ah, uh, how wonderful. Um, I Everything I've ever had, Echinacea has completely taken care of, either that or St. John's. has just virus, bacteria, they're both completely taken care of with that. So I haven't had to use poke yet, but if I ever need it. But it's nice to have a little on. Yeah. And especially because she's, as you said, springing up in front of your very eyes. All over, everywhere. On top, we have this giant mound of dirt from where we excavated uh, an underground greenhouse that we have out here. And on the very summit, the pointy top of it, there's just this poke plant that's like, yep, it's me. Oh, that's so glorious. I love it. (laughs) So cute. All right. Well, thank you for answering my questions. Have a good night. Good night. Green blessings. Right, green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 951 area code. Hi, Susan. This is Maria here. I met you at Goddess Spirit Rising two years ago. How good to hear from you. <laughs> it's wonderful to uh, to be on with you. And congratulations on your book. I'm so excited. Me too. Okay. All right. So what brings me here tonight is, um, well, I was supposed to be at Goddess Spirit Rising this time, but I didn't make it because my MS symptoms have kicked up. And I'm guessing it's because I've been really bad with my diet and also because um, in the middle of the summer, I went on a wonderful, deep, beautiful shamanic journey, and it opened up many, many things. And I think this is a healing crisis, and I'm wondering for if you have any advice on how to maybe help it move through quicker. I'm not exactly sure what you mean a healing crisis when we're talking about multiple sclerosis. Ah, okay. I've been in remission for a long time. Um, but over the last year or two, my diet has really slipped, and I started to experience a few symptoms here and there. During the psilocybin journey, I during, went so during and, During the time when you have stuck fast to a specific diet, you have had no symptoms of multiple sclerosis. Yes. But over the past year, you haven't for one reason or another, done that, and the symptoms are starting to return. Right. And I was in a lot of denial about why I wasn't sticking to my diet, which was what the journey helped me to realize. And so now I'm 
coming out of it. And I, I don't know if I've uncovered some, you know, emotional things that have triggered extra symptoms, if that makes any sense. I, yeah. But anyway, I've returned to the diet and I'd like to do everything I can to support it to work as quickly as possible. And you're drinking nourishing herbal infusions. No, that's something I have not been doing. It's something that I, we talked about it when I met you two years ago, and then we were buying a house. There was all kinds of uproar. I never got a chance to do the things I said I was going to do. And uh, when I listened to your show last week, I heard about them and started looking for companies for buying herbs to make the tinctures. But, no, I haven't done it yet, and I know that's the first thing Thank that I need to do. Me. They're not tinctures. I'm sorry, the, the uh, nourishing herbal infusions. So I, was, I guess my, quest, my first question is, which one should I start with, in your opinion? What I suggest is, is when you're starting nourishing herbal infusions, that you buy a pound of nettle and a pound of oat straw, a pound of comfrey leaf and a pound of red clover, and a pound of linden. Oh, oh wait, I'm sorry, that was a little bit fast. Nettle, oat straw. Nettle, oat straw, red clover, comfrey. And linden. Comfrey and linden. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you have a pound of each one, and you weigh out an ounce of any one of them, put it in your quart jar, fill the jar to the top with boiling water, put a lid on it, and let it sit like that at room temperature for four hours at a minimum or overnight. Okay. Then the plant material is strained out, and the liquid, which is what you're going to drink, is kept in the refrigerator if you want to. Heat it up before you drink it. That's certainly fine. Okay. By getting that amount of herb, you will have enough herb to make infusion for about three months. Yeah. And that will really give you a good sense of what the infusion has to offer you. And I know that from your previous show, I understand that you're not supposed to take more than one at a time. So... Use them as simples, correct? Okay. Um, having never used them, is there anything I should expect in in drinking them the first time? Um, I don't know what I'm asking. It's, it's a whole new world. It's, it's I <laughs> hear you. Keep... Garlic is an herb, but it's also food. Parsley is an herb, but it's also food. Basil is an herb, but it's also food. Before you took your first bite of pesto, you didn't say, is there anything I should expect? True. Nourishing herbal infusions are foods. They're not drugs. Okay. Understood. Is there anything you should expect when you drink this glass of apple juice? Mmm, your taste buds will say, wow, I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think most people's taste buds say, wow, I like that about the infusions. And if yours don't, find a way around it. Add a little honey to it, drink it warm, drink it cold. Add it to something you do like to drink. Find a way to get yourself to like the infusions. It's a, a worthwhile effort to do. Okay, very good. All right. And I, I think that you will find that, that that in addition to your doing what you already know is going to work for you, uh, will bring you back into a state where there's no disease symptoms. Super. Any other tinctures or anything else you might recommend? They aren't tinctures. No, no. 
in addition to the herbal infusion, are there any tinctures or anything else that you might recommend? I'm not exactly clear what I would recommend it for. Okay. Like if um, someone had a virus infection, I could recommend an herb that could help counter that. If someone had a headache, I could recommend an herb that would counter that. But I can't quite get a grip on what. Ah, uh, okay. Well, my is. number one symptom right now is uh, is loss of balance. Got it. Do you feel that this is because of something that's going on in your inner ear, something that's going on in your nervous system? Nervous system. Hypericum perforatum, the St. Jones wort that you've heard us talking about this evening as well, yes. is a restorer to the nervous system. I was taking notes when, when you were talking about that. So. Because, yeah, uh, I was Look into that. Okay. That might be an herb that would be a good ally for you as well. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for being more specific so I can help you better. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, take care. Okay, great blessings. blessings. Good night. Bye-bye. We don't have anybody else with their hand raised at the moment, but if you have a question, please press 1 to speak with Susan. Well, I had a letter. Uh, okay. And I'm going to go in the house and get it. From a past, good. past apprentice. And she said, oh, the last time I wrote you, I was telling you about these problems I was having with my family. But now I'm writing to tell you about a terrible problem that I'm having um, about pain. So, let's get her letter. T7 and T8 with, with uh, osteopenia 
Years ago, I had a couple of bone density scans that showed osteopenia, maybe even osteoporosis, but I thought I was dealing with it. I was making yogurt and eating greens, and I took magnesium and vitamin D, and I had so many other problems with my health before, and my doctor said I didn't need more scars if I wasn't going to, I didn't need more scans if I wasn't going to take medication. So we just forgot about it. Anyhow, I've been in the worst pain I've ever had, and I can't do too much. Too many activities are my basic chores without having to lay down with a nice pack. I am sensitive to acetaminophen and that kind of pain relievers. I have been trying hypericum and eupatorium perfoliatum homeopathically, tea relief topically, kava from Gaia Herbs, it's a liquid extract, these things were supposed, these things were suggested to me by a naturopath in Hawaii, however yesterday I went to an herb store here and I got Jamaican dogwood, which has seemed to help a little with the pain today, I made a decoction of the bark and had three cups of the tea. I like a medicine in this form. I can't go online now, and I don't know about this herb, but I will find out more. I'm also taking magnesium, glyconate, calcium, hydrocyolate from bovine, and vitamin D3 drops. I have no health insurance now, so it's bad timing. I've only gone to an osteopath. I haven't heard if this will get better, which frightens me since I feel very disabled now and it's been seven weeks. I was wondering what experience or knowledge you have gathered from women in my situation. I know everyone's different, but does it get better with time or does the bone loss cause the pain? Do people heal somewhat? I hear they have a procedure to help, but no details because I haven't been to the doctor except my osteopath who hasn't said much except that her doctor friend specializes in osteoporosis and recommends medication to build bone, I think it's called. I have avoided medication in the past. I know there are supplements, they say, for building bone, but I don't know anything yet about them. Have you heard about any of them? Do they work? Right now, I'm just in so in survival mode, dealing with the pain, and I hope I am led to the solution. I hope you are doing well uh, along with your family and the goats and the wise woman center and the apprentices. This time of year is my favorite, but since this has happened, life is bittersweet. I try to enjoy and be grateful for small moments like the deer that munch on the blackberries and rest there in the shade. I just pray I can get help and the pain will settle down and I can live an active life again. I sent you some recipes on the back. I hope to hear from you when you have a chance. Love and blessings, Carol. And she sent me a recipe for a rice tort. And she uses rice and then she kind of pours the egg over it and adds a little salt and grated nutmeg and bakes it. And then she does a, a squash pudding. Similarly, thanks, Carol. She has a, a whole book of recipes out, which is kind of her family recipes. And I enjoyed uh, getting a chance to help her with that. 
So I noticed in her letter that she didn't say, I'm drinking nourishing herbal infusions. And it's always kind of a surprise to me after somebody has been here, an apprentice, that they won't let it slip, that they will let it slide, and especially in a situation like this. So far better than taking any kind of supplement is to drink nourishing herbal infusions. Rebecca, you've surely heard me tell the story about the woman whose doctor told her that she had severe osteoporosis and who, in fact, lost three inches in bone height. Um, she didn't say that she was in any particular pain, although certainly um, losing spinal mass can cause great pain. And uh, she basically totally restored her bone mass by drinking nourishing herbal infusions. And one of the reasons I like this story, she was drinking them because she wanted energy. She didn't really understand that it could help her bones at all. And it was kind of a side effect that it helped her bones. So I like that part of it. So I would say, Carol, the very first thing that you need to do is to get back into the infusion groove, get back into drinking those nourishing herbal infusions on a daily basis. If it feels too hard to make it every night, make half a gallon at a time so you have enough for two days. Give yourself a little break on it that way, but drink those nourishing herbal infusions. I'm going to also assume, since you apprenticed here, that when you say that you're eating greens, that you're not eating raw greens, or what I call warm raw greens, but that you're actually eating well-cooked greens, that your kale and your collards have been cooked for a minimum of an hour. And you probably remember that I will often cook them for two or three hours so that we can really get some mineral from those leafy greens. I'm glad that you have the yogurt, the combination of the white and the green for minerals, I think is the real winning ticket there to have both of those available to ourselves. But of course, it, the, um, there are a great many things involved. One of the things that seems to me um, to be somewhat wrong in what you're saying is, I don't know of any drug that builds bone. There are osteoclasts and osteoblasts in the bone, one of which tears down bone and the other of which builds bone up. And at this point, the drugs only affect the ones that tear down bone. So they stop the ones that tear down bone from tearing the bone down. But they don't cause the ones that are building bone up to build more bone up which is what you said in your letter, that it causes you to build bone. It actually doesn't, but it's supposed to stop the loss of bone. Um, Whether it does or doesn't, hmm. Would I suggest that you do medication? No. Um, Because will the medication give you back bone loss that you haven't, that you, bone that you've already lost? No. No, no medication is going to restore the bone that you have already lost. If there's 30% loss from that vertebrae, then it could be that that has, yes, indeed been lost. Drinking your nourishing herbal infusions will protect and rebuild what you have. So it does actually affect both the bone tearing down cells and the bone building up cells. So that's some answer to your question. Also in terms of the pain, I noticed that you didn't mention CBD. And uh, let me add my voice to the great chorus of voices singing the praises of CBD. Um, You know that I've not just lately come to it, but for years and years I have been suggesting that anyone with chronic pain, with intractable pain, um, try some CBD. 
try some CBD tincture, try some CBD oil, try it um, rubbed on the area where the pain is, try it taken orally, by mouth. Um, CBD has been for a great many people with a great many different kinds of pain, an absolute miracle. Uh, a real uh, delight and a joy for pain relief. And of course, the great thing about cannabis is that it is non-addictive. And the CBD especially is non-addictive. And so it's something that you can use, and you can use as much as you need to, and you don't have to worry about the fact that you react to acetaminophen because the CBD works by a different pathway to deal with pain. So I think that's a kind of a round robin of things for you to think about, and it's a lot easier for me to uh, answer your letter here at the Blog Talk Show than it is to sit down and write all this out. Green blessings, Carol. I'm so glad you wrote. Thanks for keeping in touch. And it's just about time for our guest, isn't it? It is, and she uh, is calling in from her computer, so I said I would have her press 1 when she arrives. If you could do that now, Terry. I am still not seeing your call here. It could be, but she has not called in yet. Terry, if you're here, can you press 1, please? I'll keep an eye out for her call. It looks like there's about a half a minute until um, the interview time. She should be here, but I'm not sure. Anderson says, Terry Anderson says, when I was 30 years old, I was brutally assaulted by two armed robbers while leaving work, and I sustained serious injuries. I had amnesia for 11 months, brain injury, and out-of-body experience in another realm with three beings who gave me past and future life reviews. When I came back to my body, it felt like whoever I was was dead, and somebody else took over in that body and in the life, and I didn't recognize it. It was like a reincarnation or or soul exchange experience. I, I had... Uh, remarkable new abilities to accurately see into people's lives, bodies, and see through time regardless of location. I perused years of professional training in controlled remote viewing, medical intuition, and psychic mediumship with specialists around the world to hone and apply these abilities, which I now use to help others. Sounds fascinating, Terry. I hope we get to talk to you. Looks like someone just called in. Terry, if this is you, can you please press 1? Hey, it's right. Terry. Hi, it's Terry. It looks like someone just called in. Terry, if this is you, can you please press 1? Yes, it's Terry. Hey, it's Terry. Hi, it's oh, Terry. Oh, hi, Terry. Um, did Susan's call just drop, too? Oh, are you there, no, Susan? I'm- Yep, yeah, yeah. Okay, can we can you. hear you now. All right. Oh, good. Good. Great. Welcome to the show, Terry. We're so glad that you're here. 
Oh, thank you very much, Susan. It's a privilege to be here with you. What an amazing experience that you had. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to, we were talking a little bit about it earlier on in the show, and I described an argument that I had today, which I've had a great many times, which is somebody said to me, well, you shouldn't use psychoactive plants because they take you don't deserve to be. I said, well, it's rather like saying you shouldn't fly somewhere, that you can only walk somewhere. And uh, so, uh, you know, I really appreciate that your assault uh, brought you to a heightened ability, incredible powers. But I'm also happy that we have psychoactive plants that don't have to be assaulted to find it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice (laughs) to bypass all the trauma? Indeed, right? Well, I don't know if we ever bypass all the trauma, but at least uh, the physical trauma, which you had to, to work your way through. Can yeah. you tell us more about that near-death experience and those three beings? I feel like, uh, um, you know, Vasalisa here. Oh, grandmother, will you tell me about those hands that appear in the air? Sure. Um, I was 30 years old, and I went to work one night for a lady who was sick in a neighborhood pub where I lived. And um, as the night progressed, I got more and more agitated, like there was something wrong and I could feel it in my gut. And I kept phoning my husband saying, there's something wrong, there's something wrong. And I didn't know what it was and he didn't know what it was. And he was at home looking after our two young daughters while I was working. And um, I thought I, I was working by myself at, uh, alone late at night and I, I was locking up this facility and as I was doing that I felt um, terrified because I thought I could hear noises outside and so I was locking all the doors and the windows and I set my alarm uh, for the building and I had my car keys in my hand because I was so scared and I bolted out the back door and slammed the door behind me and as I was slamming the door here were two armed robbers and uh, they beat me up very badly They tried to catch the door before it closed, and they had a shotgun against my head and a crowbar in my face and covered my mouth so I couldn't speak. And uh, I was beaten up very badly. And when they finally let me talk, uh, because they demanded to get into the building, I said, well, these keys are from my car. I don't have keys to get into the building. And they let me go. So that was the beginning of the end for me because I really thought that I would die right there. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm never going to see my kids again. And, and, but, but they let me go. So um, long story short, I went home and told my husband that what happened after I went to the police station and reported the incident. And I said, I'm moving. You can stay if you want, but I'm leaving. <laughs> I was terrified that these two guys, they knew what I looked like. They knew my car because it was right there. And I thought, if they get caught, you know, they're looking at many years in jail for attempted armed robbery. And so then I went into this amnesia uh, for 11 months. And as I was coming out of amnesia, I realized I couldn't read. Not one word. So I, I went to the doctor and I told my doctor what had happened And he said, oh, you've had a near-death experience. And he referred me to the International Association for Near-Death Studies. But I went into hospital for about three months and underwent very extensive um, therapies to help me come back. And uh, it took us literally a small army of people over many, many years to help 
me rehabilitate. And I think it was during the amnesia where I was out of my body in another realm and there were spirit beings, three of them, and they gave me all of this information, like a life review of my past. And then I was, somebody had forcibly opened my third eye and I saw all these multiple screens of the future and images of these future events. And when I came back into a body, I I looked at my body and I thought, well, whose body is this? And and why am I back? I thought I was dead because it felt like I was in the spirit realm for such a long time. Um, and I clearly traded or exchanged something with them that um, about my about my future. And so when I came back into a body, and I didn't recognize this body, I didn't fit this body, um, and I had all this future memory. And I, I could shake somebody's hand and see right into their house. And I was having precognitive dreams about things that would happen. And they happened exactly as I saw in these dreams. And I was having a really difficult time trying to figure this out. So I had happened to go to a conference in the States for remote viewing. And I really felt that those were my peers. So eventually I joined... Um, to get some training with somebody who used to teach remote viewing at CIA for 25 years. And so I got all of this training there, and then I went on to get other kinds of training in medical applications. Um, well, and so, back up one yeah. second. Oh. Taught, uh, taught remote viewing where? Um, in the States. There was uh, someone who oh. used to teach yeah, controlled remote I thought what? you said CIA. Yeah, he used to teach at the CIA for 25 years. He taught remote he viewing to, at the CIA? Yeah, yeah. Those, he was teaching, uh, I guess, military personnel how to become psychic spies. So that was the person that I got all of my training with. And then I went on to other kinds of training in uh, as psychic detective and in medical applications, and at Arthur Finley College in England, and um, and lots of online training with different people, too. So I've had years and years of training, but I didn't want to use my abilities uh, for military work. So I decided to work independently. Um, so... It was. It has been a very, very difficult adjustment because in the very beginning, nobody told me about. You know, we're we're not raised understanding what remote viewing is or medical intuition or, you know, psychic mediumship. I <laughs> so, agree. Um, I think you should yeah, tell. Yeah. You should tell us yeah. what remote viewing is. What I, I remote know. viewing. Yeah, it's a set of scientific protocols where they teach you to send your consciousness anywhere through time or space to obtain um, information. And using those skill sets, I'm able to do very accurate, very detailed readings for people in any area of their life. I can do a medical intuitive body reading for somebody or for their relative on the other side of the planet. They don't even have to be present during the reading. 
and I, it sounds fantastical, and it is. <laughs> it's it's amazing. Um, it's amazing work. Our consciousness is not localized in our brain, and that is part of what I learned in remote viewing because they train you to send your consciousness to you know, the other side of the world or into the past or into the future. So it's a, it's a, a wonderful skill set. And I'm able to find, you know, early stage cancer, car accidents ahead of time. I'm able to warn people ahead of time when I, when I find things during these readings. That is so, so wonderful. <laughs> Isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> It took you some some time to really understand what had happened to you. Oh, I, yeah. Sounded like to me like, and I, maybe I got this wrong, like you were kind of just you know living what we might call an ordinary life and uh, enjoying yourself and having a nice family and a good work. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, this was interrupted brutally. Um, and, yes. And when you next opened your eyes, you weren't you anymore. Because you were no. so much more than you had known yourself to be, and life was so much more than you had known it could be. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, when I came back into a body, it felt like whoever I was died, and someone else came in and took over this body with a whole new life plan. So it felt like I had to finish out the old life plan <laughs> and and start on this new life plan. And uh, it really, it was really challenging to come to terms with it all. Because I kind of felt like I don't know after I left one of the inter uh, one of the remote viewing um, trainings in the states when I was coming back to Canada, I thought, wow, I'm just like one of the X Men. <laughs> you know, that's how I felt. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it, it does feel a little like that, especially when you start to realize how really flexible time is. Oh yeah. Well, time is a construct we've created to measure things. To measure events, and so for me, it, my training is when I'm I, I was taught to go forward in time and backward in time to view and experience different events and different locations, etc. So it is remarkable. I'm always amazed every time I do a reading for somebody at the accuracy of it. It just blows me away. <laughs> it's it's fun, it's exciting, it's hard sometimes too because, you know, with during, say, um, psychic medium readings and departed ones come through and say they've taken their own life and I can feel how they did that and those are tough, you know. But uh. it also is an opportunity to help people heal when they can connect to their departed loved ones. Yes. So those those are tough. Those are really tough. Those are probably the toughest ones. I noticed that you didn't change the name. That I what? You said that when you came back to your body, you felt as though you weren't the same person, but it doesn't seem that you changed the name. And I mentioned that because I'm around a lot of women who have experiences like that without that particular kind of trauma because I trained shamanic apprentices and so I put them in, in the way of some heavy things and they frequently change their name when that happens. Oh, yeah, I was encouraged to change my name, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. So I like yeah. that 
that you that even though you had that feeling that you were a different person, you nonetheless you, you kept her. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You kept well, I her. Didn't you want a different. Oh, you're yeah. willing to be around as her. You're willing to be known as her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. Very, very kind, very compassionate of you. So I'm oh. sure listeners are wondering how they can get in touch with you. So let's tell them now, and we can tell them later on as well. What's the best way? Okay. Okay, I do have a website, and it's www.terryanderson.com. So it's T-E-R-R-Y-A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N.com. And I, I offer several kinds of different readings with different time frames. So I've, you know, developed that over a long period of time to really suit everybody. And after the reading, they get detailed notes emailed to them and uh, additional resources, which is really extensive, and that's for ongoing insight and support. How lovely. I can, yeah. I can tell that you are a person who pays attention to the details, and I appreciate yeah. that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So do you have a, a, a sense that, Things are getting worse. Things are getting better. Things are staying the same. What What can you tell us all in general? For me, you mean, or for the world, or <laughs> for all? I'm of not us. sure what you. Well, oh, how, how about for those of us in America? For the vast majority of Americans, over the next five <laughs> years, are their lives going to be better or worse? I mean, with I think Margaret. It Put in the Handmaid's Tale, and what's going on in Alabama? One might think that um, things are going to go very poorly for women. Well, I haven't seen any of the Handmaid's Handmaid's Tale um, TV show, so I can't speak to that. Um, I, I'm just aware of the your current president, and uh, I hope that you know the next president is going to be a little more sensitive to the people Um, and you know especially women, minorities (laughs) children you know Um, (laughs) and um, I do think that people need to speak up and rally together and when they join forces and, and really come together as a powerful force there's nothing that they cannot accomplish the people. So it's the people. Yeah, not not the leaders, but the people. They can they can uh, make change happen. So it starts at grassroots levels, and really, that's the most powerful um, platform that there is. Look at the Me Too movement. How how that started, and that's going to balloon all over the world. Wow. You know, and, and now there's demonstrations about the environment, and that's happening all over the world. So you're gonna, when, when you see this kind of public, um, public stand against these kinds of crimes and crimes against nature and, and uh, the planet and other people, then you're going to start to see some changes. If, if we let corrupt politicians carry on, we won't see the changes that we need. You know, in my experience, there are people who are awake and there are people who are asleep. And the ones who are asleep are working out of their ego. 
the ones who are awakened have clued in to the interconnectedness that we all share. And those are the people, they don't want to hurt the environment. They don't want to hurt each other. But the ones who are still asleep, they are the ones who are making war and causing pollution and, you know, wreaking havoc on this planet. I hear you. I hear Mm -hmm. you. And one of the things that I often teasingly say is that I have not yet completed my lessons in bilocation, but it appears that you have. Oh, wow, bilocation. That's a, a great topic. Yeah. I was uh, with a friend one day, and my teacher, who I knew was in New Mexico, bilocated to me, and he was standing right outside the, the glass sliding door. And I thought, whoa, he's bilocating. And so I emailed him and let him know. I said, do you realize you're bilocating? And he, I know he had just had, um, he was still in America, and, and he was still in, he'd had a medical, um, a medical event that would have prevented him from standing outside the, the door in my country. <laughs> so, you know, and I, I have bilocated into many people's um, situations, like their work or their home or, you know. Um, so I know how easy it is, how possible it is, because we're interdimensional beings. We're not con- contained or constrained by this physical body. Um, and once you realize your interdimensional abilities, then these kinds of out-of-body experiences and uh, um, sending your consciousness or your spirit body in different places becomes, you know, fun. <laughs> I think it takes a little extra to kind of show up so somebody else can see you, though. Well, um, remote viewers can do that. They're, they're, some of them are trained to do that. Um, they show up. They you're are doing a session. What's that? Saying that? You're saying that not everybody could have seen your friend, that you had a special ability to see your friend. Oh, I, could, I knew he was standing right there, um, out of body. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. bilocating. And there's a book I haven't read it yet, but it's, it's there's a team of seven people who bilocate together, and they're, you know, manipulating situations. So um, when I do the you green, know, we, the Green Goddess Week, the uh-huh. dream assignment that I give to the ladies is to meet at a certain time and a certain place. Uh-huh. Yeah. To start them off on that path. Oh, wow. Able to move outside their body at will to a specific location. Yeah. Yeah, it's really exciting when you are, when you realize that you're able to move through time and and space and accurately describe, you know, what you experience. I once had a woman say to me, she said, you know, I have an enormous psychic ability, but really, truthfully, it's because I'm sitting beside the wall of the barn and the boards are not tightly put together and so I can see out through a crack, but I'm really just seeing out through a crack, Susan. Oh. She said, 
despite being able to see everything in every place and every time, it's still just a tiny little peephole into the all that is. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think there's any possible way that humanity, human beings, can properly describe the miracle of their life, you know, and life on Earth and how we are this this one little planet in a sea of countless stars and planets and suns. It's just in galaxies. It's just unfathomable. And I, I kind of liken it to how can an ant describe us if we pick up the ant and put it in a container? <laughs> you know, like it doesn't have the cognitive ability to describe its tiny nests on this planet and amongst these giants called people. <laughs> and I don't think we're any different, really. You know, how can we possibly describe reality? Um, the miracle of our lives. It, it's unfathomable. You know, when you look out into the stars and, and these NASA programs and, and you see an endless sea of stars, it's like just, you know, we can't, we can't describe this properly. It's where always, it all came from. It's always so enticing to know that there's something that we can't have. <laughs> yeah, like full knowledge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although many try to seek it. <laughs> So would you share, of course, without using any name, would you share perhaps an interesting um, reading that you have done or an interesting person that you've recently talked to? Well, yeah, I could share a couple. I I did a reading once for a lady I'd never met. Um, she came to one of the public fairs where I was um, working, and um so here I am connecting to a departed soul, and it's a mother, and she has these young children. She's very upset, uh, and she showed me her husband. Her, her, her husband and children are still alive, but she showed me how she was killed in a motor vehicle accident, and the, the um, person who caused it was under the influence, and she was railing because of this um, court matter. And, you know, I was giving this lady all the information that this, spirit was giving me and at the end of the reading the lady admitted she said well this is a this is an RCMP lady um, that was killed and she said please don't talk about this because it's still before the court and I was really um, that was a difficult one for me because it was a very public case and um, so that was tough and then another one I did for a man um, well, I don't know that I should talk about that one because he he would know who it is. But I'll talk about a different one. <laughs> uh, this is a lady. She came to me for a reading, and uh, I had never met her before. And her mom came through in spirit. Who she was departed, and let me know that um, her son-in-law, which is this lady's husband, had taken his own life, and I could feel him. He had come through. Um, picking up a gun and putting it to his head and I could feel the weight of the gun in his hand 
and um, I said, oh, your your husband has departed, and he he's taken his own life. And then her son had also taken his own life. And the grandmother in spirit told me, I'll see the other grandson soon. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't want to tell this poor mother that. She's already lost a husband and one son. And But I thought, I have to say it. Um, so I said, how is your other son? Uh, because... Your mom is referring to him, and I think we need to be concerned about your other son. And she said, well, he's not doing very well. And that's when I said, well, your mom is saying she'll see him soon, so please intervene in his life. And and um, so her daughter, she also had a daughter, and I also shared that message with um, her daughter, which would be the boy's sister. So I hope we were able to save him because she, the daughter said he, he was very suicidal. So, you know, there's a lot of um, hopelessness in the world. And I've done so many suicide readings that I know for a fact that once they take their own life, they regret it once they're on the other side. And they're, they're always sorry. And it, it's a permanent, permanent you know, thing. It's it's it, life is trauma and all of these harsh things that can happen to people. People can recover from it. They just need the right help and the right support. Thank, so, thank you for offering that right help and that right support. Now, I told the listeners that we would tell them once again here, as we get to the end of the show, how to get in touch with you, and that. Oh, okay. E-R-R-Y-A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N.com. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, that's right. Yes. Free with a Y, Anderson with a S-E-N dot com. If you want to know more, and we have come to the last minute of the show, which I offer to you, what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you? Just that there is more to our life on earth than we really understand. And uh, there is, I do have this link between the spirit realm and this realm. And, and it's real. I, I provide really accurate, very detailed readings. So I encourage people to read the testimonials on my website because the people that have had readings with me, they are the ones that speak to my accuracy far more than I could. <laughs> that so. is Wonderful. Thank you mm-hmm. so much for sharing your story with us and sharing your abilities and your skill with us in this really remarkable and um, an area that You're most welcome. very, very little about. Thank you for helping us well, to, to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. And Rebecca, well. thank you for helping me move forward with restoring herbal medicine as people's medicine. It's the medicine that grows right outside your door. Green blessings to everybody. (laughs) Good night, Terry. Good night, Rebecca. Good night, Justine and Monica Jean. Okay, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Okay, good night.